the, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome in to College Football Overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman. His name is Abe Gordon, and we have so much to get into because college football season is down to one, just one week, just one week of the regular season. That means the Pac-12 has just one more week. Of, of really meaningful existence where every team is playing, and that just feels so strange. Uh, last week of Texas in Oklahoma playing in the Big 12. Last week of uh, all of these other programs who are moving across the country and doing crazy things. And more importantly, the 2023 season is finally coming to a close as we're starting to get some answers to who's going to be playing in their conference title games. We're going to get into all of that stuff today on the College Football Overtime podcast. We've seen favorites largely hold serve this season. That pretty much continued this week. We did see one major seismic shift, and we're going to get into that, the uh, Jordan Travis injury that leaves the future of the Florida State football team this season in doubt, uh, or at least unclear. But before we get into any of this, because we've got a lot to talk about here on the College Football Overtime Podcast, I want to welcome in my co-host, Abe Gordon. Abe, how you doing, buddy? We're doing good, man. Another Saturday delivers in the world of college football. You had a trio of great finishes from the noon games, obviously uh, some premier games at 3.30, uh, at 7.30, and and uh, some fun stuff throughout the rest of the night as well. So uh, just get, it's, it's one, like you said, man, only one of these bad boys left uh, in the regular season, and then we get into postseason play, whether it be conference championship or college football playoffs after that. Yep, and and once we get into postseason play, that's just a lot of fun, and I'm sure we'll we'll get into all of that here on the College Football Overtime podcast. But right now, we have to go over what we saw in the SEC. We have absolutely have to start with our back-to-back defending national champions, the University of Georgia. They go up to good old Rocky Top, where they the Volunteers tried to pull out as many stops as possible. They tried to pull the magic card with Dolly Parton. I mean. You bring Dolly Parton there and, and have her sing Rocky Top. That was going to give you at least a little bit of magic, and it did for one play, 75-yard touchdown. Uh, after that, it was pretty much all dogs. They go on a 38-3 to run to the end of the game. Neither team scores in the fourth quarter, but it doesn't really matter. Georgia dominates this game. I know I want to talk to you specifically about something you tweeted at Abe Gordon. Go give him a follow on Twitter. Carson Beck is QB3 in this class, and he threw for three touchdowns on the day up there, good old Rocky Top. Brock Bowers had six catches in this game. The Dogs' defense stole the show. They dominated Tennessee largely throughout the entire course of the game. Uh, Milton tried to throw the ball down the field, and he just missed a few times. I I think that if he had connected on one or two of those plays, uh, then this could have been a different football game. But ultimately, that Georgia secondary has flexed its muscle continuously time and time again. They got after Joe Milton. They stuffed the rushing attack largely outside of that first one, that first carry that went for 75 yards. The offense clicked on all cylinders. They have too many weapons. That offensive line is killer. Brock Bowers, Oscar Delp, Lad McConkey. I mean, that's before we get into the actual other wide receivers like Ra Ra Thomas and everybody. Else. I mean, this this group looks like the true national championship favorite, and they've proved it with their third ranked victory in a in a row, and they're they're really definitive ranked victory in a row. Hey, what did you see in this one? Yeah, I was probably the last one to come around, if we're being honest, on this Georgia team. I I was very patient in in my hesitancy to put them as the best team in the country because they hadn't looked the way they've looked. But three weeks in a row, as you mentioned, three ranked opponents, Mm -hmm. two at home, one on the road. 
Um, I I don't have any qualms or doubts about saying it at this point. They are the best team in the country. Now, they do it differently than they've done it the past couple of years. Leaned heavily on defense. Now, they still got a pretty good defense now, but this is certainly a team that's led by, in my opinion now, um, the country's best offense. May not be the most explosive. I don't care if they're the most high-scoring. I think they're the best offense. If you told me I needed one drive, 85 yards and someone's got to go score i would take georgia's offense over anyone else's in the country they, they have this great combination of explosiveness and efficiency uh and, and that has allowed them in my opinion to be the best offense in the country um carson beck is is i mean the way he's developed over the course of the year the questions we had leading in from the season How's this guy going to fare replacing Stetson Bennett to where we are now? Well, this guy may be the best passer in the country. Uh, and statistically, I understand other guys have more yards. Other guys maybe have a better completion mm-hmm. percentage. But the whole package uh, with Carson Beck, it, it really is there. The offensive line makes it easy for him because he is very well protected. And that obviously benefits the run game as well. But but look, this is a situation where if we're going to nitpick, like maybe don't give up another touchdown on the opening drive of the game. That's certainly opening something. Touch. They, yeah. Well, well, in this situation, it wasn't literally the first yeah. offense play, but I think they'd give up a touchdown on an opening drive, like six straight games, five straight games. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something to focus on. I know we asked that question throughout the week. You know, what can you do to start faster defensively? I mean, we started pretty fast defensively after that. I mean, it was a complete shutdown mode. So, look, this is the best team in the country. It's going to be very tough to defeat them. And the one thing you mentioned about Joe Milton hitting uh, a couple of deep threats, and and I kind of want to flip a little bit. The thing about this defense, and specifically the secondary, which is loaded with talent, you may beat them on a certain route or in certain coverages, but they don't lose guys in coverage there aren't guys running wide open again you may beat them with a double move something like that but they don't lose guys that's what you see texas take advantage of alabama take advantage of it's going to be so difficult for these teams that are big play deep ball offenses to hit against georgia because they don't lose guys they might get beat you might have a window but there aren't guys running wide open like what we saw on the dylan bell touchdown pass where a guy's just completely lost in coverage and he's just, there's no one in 10 yards of him. Georgia's secondary doesn't do that. That's why I think they are so difficult to hit big plays on outside of obviously the 75 yard run yesterday. Yeah. I mean, this is just, I, I think your, your comment saying that they might be the best offense in the country. Actually, the more you explained it, the more sense it kind of made. Yeah. Because, I think the the, the the casual observer, and this is not necessarily a wrong answer, you could say Washington, you can say LSU, and those are fine answers. I think that both sure. of those would be fantastic. But the thing is, those teams can't beat you on the ground in the same way that Georgia can. Well, I guess Washington can, of course, but Michael Penix also, they're, they're more reliant on like a handful of players. That, I think that's really what I was trying to, to allude to. Gene Daniels is, is, of course, the cog in the machine. He makes everything go for LSU. Um, Michael Panix is that way for, for Washington. I, I don't necessarily see any one player that is the definitive reason that George is really, really good. And before like the first half of the season, you probably could have said it's Brock Bowers. And that's a fine answer, and I think it's a perfectly fair thing to say. Uh, after he goes down for, for three weeks or, or four weeks where he doesn't play at all, 
and the offense doesn't miss a beat. And I mean, like almost, I don't want to say it even got better, but it might, it statistically, it did look better because you return Lad McConkey. And there's just, because you can go to so many different directions, this offense can't be beat in any one way. Because if you want to take away the pass, they'll work you on the ball. I mean, and they can do that at a high level. They are, I think at the beginning of the season, the conversation that I always have is when, when I'm trying to pick teams and pick teams that are actual contenders, I ask the question, what are you elite at? Because you have to be elite at something. This Georgia team is damn near elite at everything. And I don't think that there are any, there's any other team in the country that can really say that. I mean, Michigan, perhaps you could say that, but the two biggest, the two best teams they've played so far this year, J.J. McCarthy has kind of drifted off and he hasn't looked nearly as effective. Um, and I know we're going to get into some more Michigan conversation here later in the show, so I'll save some of that discussion for when we talk about Michigan. But some of the some of what we saw from them, their dominance looked a little less dominant once the competition started upping. And maybe that's just where we are in the season. Maybe that was part of the game plan. I don't know. But Georgia just continues to elevate their game, and they always seem to find that extra gear that most teams just don't have. And I think that's really what set them apart this season. We saw that against Tennessee in a big way. It's also just a situation where you do think they're going to run into some tough competition for one reason or another. And it's not that these teams yeah. are bad, but they just can't match up. And so, like, you see what they do to Missouri, and that was a competitive game, sure. And they, they obviously blow out Ole Miss. Sure. They, they put an end to, you know, the offense, what's going on there. But it was a different story. On Saturday, you are going on the road. You are going into a hostile environment. Uh, there are situations yeah. you hadn't really dealt with against another ranked team this season, and it just didn't matter. Like, it, 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 you're down 7 nothing. You get boat raced on the first play. Like, none of it matters. Like, like they just, they just wiped the, sw- the slate from that first play. They, they showed up to play on offense. They went right down. Uh, you get some points on the board. You're off and running. You get a stop. You get a, a, a you know, you use the ball right before half ball after, a, and the game's over. And it's just mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know what you do to to challenge these guys because they are so good on the offensive end. You ju- just, it, you feel like at any given time they're they're going to put together a drive. Like they, they doesn't feel like there's much you can do to stop them and what they do on offense. And then on defense. They'll give up some points here and there. Like we've seen it throughout the season a little bit, but like you're not scoring 30 on this team. Uh, and so it just, you've been asking for a month and a half now, like what's the path to victory against this Georgia team? Yeah. No one's had an answer. Tennessee didn't have an answer. I don't have an answer. Um, it, 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 it's going to be, Really interesting to see, you know, going into the SEC title game. Obviously, Alabama feels like a threat. I like the way their offense is playing. But, like, what if we watch the same thing? Like, what if we watch Alabama go down opening drive score and then nothing? And and it's not that inconceivable to think that Georgia could shut down the Alabama offense. I mean, what if we do that to to in the playoffs against, uh, let's just say, Michigan? Like, J.J. McCarthy threw eight passes uh, against Penn State, and they won the game. Like, they barely beat Maryland a week. Uh, I mean, like, it's just I, – I don't know who's beating this team right now. That That's what's yeah. the most interesting thing is I, I, I thought they'd be in the discussion at some point in the year. I didn't think I'd be, like, very clearly team-to-beat mode for Georgia at any point this season. I didn't know if they would get there. In my opinion, though, they are there. Yeah, I mean, 
they can do a little bit of everything and they can do a little bit of everything really, really well. Um, Alabama, and I, and I know we're going to get into that discussion here coming up in the next week or so, uh, once we, now that we have a definitive decision as to who's playing who, uh, that's going to be a fascinating matchup because Alabama does a lot of things well. I mean, hell, they're Alabama. You know, like they are, they are the standard bearer uh, of college football and have been for the last two decades or so. But it feels like that game, the SEC championship in particular, could be a sort of changing of the guards, if, uh, if you will, uh, because if they can get past Alabama for a second time, and if they can do so in convincing fashion, I know we, I know we saw them win the national title game against Alabama. That felt like the moment where they got the monkey off their back and like, hey, we're we've arrived on the national stage. But if they can beat Alabama in that title game and they can do it convincingly, I think the rest of the college football world will be forced to admit that this is Georgia's. Just they are the top of the mountain. I know that they're back-to-back national title winners, uh, but at the same time, it does feel like they have Alabama's had their number largely throughout this Kirby smart era. So that's something that I really want to see in that sec title game. And I think it's going to be a very interesting thing to watch, but Abe, I do quickly want to move on. Do you, do you have any other thoughts there? Or do well, I, I was it's just one last thing on Georgia. I've always said sure. when people ask me, is Georgia building a dynasty? You're not a dynasty until you win a national championship with a second quarterback because winning it two that's in a fair. row with Stetson is, is one thing. We've seen a lot of programs mm-hmm. do that. But when you bring in that second quarterback to get it done, uh, I think you enter a different realm. So I, th- that's all I'd mm-hmm. say to that in regards to Georgia and the dynasty. Yeah, I mean, 50% of your roster that won the first one, at least 50% is not here from the first one. Yeah, uh, They would be the first – they would be well on their way to being the first three-peat national champion since Minnesota did it in the first – in the 1930s. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the list of, of accolades and accomplishments that Georgia has on its resume – is unprecedented in this day and age of college football at any age of college football really and that's a testament to just what kirby smart has done and the sleeping giant that he awoke in athens georgia but i want to talk about the game that happened in como missouri and the florida gators Uh, i know that your gators man and the stars were shining for missouri luther burden came up in a big way nine catches 158 yards including the the catch that set up the game-winning field goal on fourth and 17 it felt like Florida did just enough right. I mean, if you tell me, and I look at these, the box score, I, I can see the rushing attack was working. Like, if all I did was look at one stat and I saw that Florida ran the football for 261 yards, I would have said, damn, Florida Gators won this football game. But I think we saw something from Missouri, a game that they played kind of sluggish, the game that, that really largely they weren't the better team on Saturday. They looked like the better team when it was all, when it all mattered most, when it was all said and done on the scoreboard. And that's just a testament to the type of team that Missouri is this year. Brady Cook had a good game, 326 yards and a touchdown. Cody Schrader, 148 yards and a touchdown. I want to say it's like his fourth or fifth straight 100-yard rushing rushing game in the SEC, and he's just one of the biggest reasons why they've done what they have done. It is worth talking about. Graham Mertz does suffer a significant, quote, significant collarbone injury. Backup quarterback Max Brown came in to finish the game, played pretty well. But it just was not enough for Florida. It was kind of a heart-wrenching loss, if you ask me. Harrison Nevis hits his second game-winning field goal of the season. But, man, oh, man, that was a tough way to lose for Florida. Yeah, this this game-winning kick for Mevis a little bit easier than the one against Kansas State. But, uh, uh, look, when you watch the game, Florida had to work much harder to get points on the board. Missouri still was able to strike with big plays, stuff like that. And, and you hate to break it down into one play, but – 
there there is a late run from etn where if he if he gets down in bounds you're looking at a completely different game the last minute and a half uh, as opposed to he he got out of bounds uh missouri was able to keep a timeout a timeout they very sorely uh, would need uh, as they tried to get back into it on offense. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, moving forward for Florida because they, they, this felt like a game that could have got them into bowl eligibility. Now they still need one against Florida State, one that will seemingly have neither starting quarterback uh, on the field. As as you mentioned, Max Brown, a little bit different than Graham Mertz, and, and obviously it was kind of panic mode, so – you're probably just stuck with what Max Brown was comfortable with. A lot of read uh, options and some quarterback runs, stuff like that. Uh, you wonder how much more the offense will will open up when he's got a week of practice to get work in with the starters, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a really tough loss for Florida only because they needed it so badly for bowl eligibility. Um, but, but again, Drinkowitz and, uh, Brady cook and Luther burden and Schrader and the gang, um, when push came to shove and they needed a scoring drive late, they got it. So, so hat tip to them on, on what continues to be an absolutely outstanding season for the Missouri Tigers. Yeah. And one thing that I did see specifically from the Florida Gators in this game is, is this team hasn't quit. And I no, think that's a really all. good sign. This is a, that's a really good sign. For Billy Napier's tenure at Florida, uh, I think I saw that the players want to play for him. They came back from a 30 to 21 fourth quarter deficit. Um, they played really good, really good red zone defense. They only allowed two touchdowns and six trips for Missouri. And with a guy like Luther Burden and Cody Schrader in the backfield, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, so I'm seeing progress from Florida and I see them continuing to fight for Billy Napier. And then you add in the, the really strong recruiting class. It makes me really believe that Billy Napier's job is safe in Gainesville, and I absolutely believe it should be. I think it'd be a foolish decision to fire him, despite the record, even if they miss a bowl game this year. I think that would be just a disastrous decision in Florida if you if you fired him. But I'll say it again. I mean, Missouri has just had a, a magnificent season. I mean, these guys have come from the depths of the SEC, a team that, that nobody took seriously for a very large portion of the season. They had the big win against Kansas State with a 61-yard field goal, and that seemed to change everything for Eli Drinkwood's mm-hmm. team this year. Uh, and now they're set up for their first New Year's New Year's Six Bowl appearance since 2014 when they played in the Cotton Bowl. Last time they played in the SEC Championship game. Uh, look, this is a great season. It's a great team. And I'm really excited to see what Missouri has done with it this year. Yeah, one quick thought on the comments you had about Napier. And that is simply fans and even media to an extent, but specifically fans and fan bases refuse to honestly admit where programs at when they make a quarterback change. I don't think people were truly honest with themselves about where the Florida Gators were as Napier took over. Um, So yes, there was a little step forward. Now there's a step backward, unless you beat Florida state, which is certainly possible, but uh, let's be real about where this program is at. There is the momentum forward that you see win, win or lose. You can still build, build momentum, even in losses. The fact that you mentioned uh, these kids are still playing for their coach uh, says a lot. And, uh, I'll be honest, I said before this game, I think it's more likely they beat Florida State than than it is they beat Missouri. They came very close here against Missouri, and obviously the quarterback situation has changed for both schools. I would not at all be surprised um, if they're able to beat Florida State to finish out the season. Yeah, and, and look, if they did that, that would be just a magnificent finish, and, and all would be forgiven in Gainesville uh, if he was able to pull that out. And Speaking of something where all can be forgiven if you beat your rival, Oh my God, what happened in Auburn? 
Uh, I mean, this is just an incredible game. I didn't actually catch any of this game because I was heading over to Georgia Tech to down to the flats <laughs> to cover the, the Yellow Jackets. And then I just kept checking in on this score line. And I just kept seeing the Aggies. No, no, no. Not the Texas A&M Aggies. The New Mexico State Aggies. I kept seeing their score go up, 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 up. And Auburn just stayed the same. The Auburn Tigers paid $2 million, or nearly $2 million. They were 25.5-point favorites, and they lose. And Hugh Freeze's team actually loses to New Mexico State for the second year in a row. Both times, they were 20-plus-point favorites. Uh, I mentioned that actually on the last podcast that we did on Thursday. I said, hey, don't be surprised if New Mexico State gives them a game. I didn't think that they would win, much less win by 21 points. I mean, Abe, this is the biggest moment for the state of New Mexico since breaking back. I mean, this is a big deal for the New Mexico, New Mexico State Aggies. This is a massive, massive win. Jeremy Kill, the head coach of New Mexico State, has them with back-to-back seven-win seasons. When the program only had seven games, had won, only won seven games, just twice in their 54-year history. He's done a marvelous job with the Aggies, and honestly, credit to him. This is they, they turned a season that started with a loss to UMass into one of their best in program history. Well, look, this goes right back to what I said about Florida and Billy Napier, doesn't it? Like, like fan bases refuse to admit where a program is when they're making a quarterback change. And, and Auburn, I think, showed you in this game, they're probably a little lower than people want to openly say they were. Now, I said on the flip side, this is what you bring in Hugh Freeze to do solidify your program, find some solid ground, some solid footing so you don't lose these games. I didn't think that would happen this year. I thought I thought he would get through it this year, and then you take steps forward, but clearly I was wrong. And look, New Mexico State, it, 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 they got a head coach in Jerry Kill that's coached some big-time football. Um, th- this is not a lifer at the low levels. I, I you know, Some newer fans may forget about his time in the Big Ten, and he had some really good teams and some really big wins in the Big Ten. So – it's a frustrating loss, um, but all in all, it, now you know, I mean, in, in your first year under Hugh Freeze, you have no quarterback. This is the sort of game you lose at home. Now you know what your bottom level is, and, and you have to build from here. But but I, I was surprised because, like I said, uh, this is the reason you bring in Hugh Freeze, is to solidify and not lose games to teams like this. Uh, and New Mexico State's good. Uh, they're like 8-4 and four or whatever it is. Um, you know, but, but you, you can't lose this game uh, if you're Auburn. And so I understand the frustration of the fan base. I'll say you can uh, hope to see some positive momentum, but this is a really bad one, even for a coach in his first year. Yeah. I mean, it's, you lost by 21 points at home. (laughs) I'm sorry. Like the the New Mexico state almost covered the spread that you were supposed to cover. Right. uh, In a home game. I mean, that's, that's humiliating. It's embarrassing. There's no way to sugarcoat this. Um, And if it wasn't a coach in his first year, I'd be looking at at a potential firing, you know, because this is a coach who's fallen asleep at the wheel. Generally, if it's not your first year, Um, this is a team that was clearly looking ahead to its arch rival next week. It's a disaster. It's embarrassing. Auburn should be humiliated. This is the worst loss. That an, that an SEC team has had since 2016. Um, I want to say South Alabama beat Mississippi State. I mean, that's that's just terrible company to be in, and it is it is just an embarrassment to to what this program was. And 
and is even. I mean, it's like, look, you're looking ahead to a really good Alabama team. And I understand it's big brother in the state. It's a big deal. And, uh, of course, it's that game matters more than anything. And, and obviously, you win next week and all is forgiven. You play a really good game next week and all is forgiven. Um, but, look, the Aggies held you to 213 yards of offense. Like, wh- what? <laughs> you rushed for, for more. They rushed for more than 200 yards. That's embarrassing. And if, like, if that team is doing that to you, I fear for people. I fear for this team next week because Alabama is a team on a mission, and I'm, I'm actually very concerned about what that team, that game could turn into. But, of, of course, rivalry rivalry games go crazy. And I, I don't know. I, I'll save a lot of that, more, more of that discussion for, for when we get into it on Thursday. Abe, I do want to move into something we saw in the SEC East. South Carolina continues its quest for a bowl game. 17 to 14 win over Kentucky. Coach Stoops called this one of the more embarrassing losses. Uh, I think that was a little harsh. South Carolina seems to play a little bit better at home. They hadn't scored less than 37 points this season at Williams Bryce Stadium. They didn't need 37 on Saturday. They scored 17, and that's enough for a win. Yeah, this was an ugly game. Uh, neither team got much going, but at the end of the day, uh, the best player on the field made the difference, and that was Xavier Legette, the uh, receiver for South Carolina. He caught the first touchdown of the game. He caught the last touchdown of the game, uh, came close to 100 yards receiving uh, in a game where neither offense was was getting much uh, going. Ray Davis, uh, Kentucky running back, didn't get a lot going. He did get a touchdown, but I, I think he was under 70 yards. Uh, Devin Leary it continues a, an incredibly disappointing season or, or comes close to wrapping up an incredibly disappointing season with a 50% completion percentage. Um, look, the, these are not good teams, neither one of them. Um, but, but I think it is, is boy, I mean, I don't want to go like big picture. Like, did this save Shane Beamer's job? Like this sort of win? Like, I, I don't think they're going to beat Clemson next week. Um, so they're probably going to be out on a bowl, but, um, yeah, I, I mean this. This was not a pretty, pretty picture. Uh, neither fan base should be pleased or, or um, positive moving forward after after this one. No, I don't. I don't think there's necessarily a positive thing to to make from this game. Um, defense played well. After really, I mean, South Carolina's had some pretty piss poor defense this season, and uh, I mean that's really the only nice thing that I can say about this football game. Uh, How do you grade really, when a defense plays well versus the other offense? I don't know just if it's no defense. good. Like I, I just, I, I know what you're trying to say, but I just hesitate to give credit here. That's all. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean it's it's a pretty brutal, brutal football game. But I mean, I do want to give them credit. They've won three straight games ever since losing yeah. to Texas A&M. So they lost three straight. You had that debilitating fourth quarter. Uh, lost to Florida, then you lose a yeah. tough game to Missouri where they, they controlled that game. And then you go on the road for a second week in a row and lose to Texas A&M. And they've rebounded it in a nice way. Uh, yes, one of those, the, two of those wins were Jacksonville State and Vanderbilt. Who cares? Win's a win. And, and look, it, it is heated up enough for rivalry week. We counted them out last year, and I think it would be a fool's errand to do that this year. Uh, but it's like, at the end of the day, Ray Davis, you held him to 61 yards. Uh, 31 of those came on one play, you know, so yeah. it's good defense, you know, because Kentucky has an identity. If you had told me that this was that South Carolina was on this going to score 17 points, I would have told you that Kentucky probably ran away with this football game. Uh, 
So I'll, I'll give credit to where credit is due. But you did mention one thing, and Abe, I do want to get to this before we move out of the SEC. Sam Pittman, according to a report on Sunday, he is going to be retained as the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. I feel like this is as much a, a reaction to what's going on over just west of them in College Station with Jimbo Fisher. I think they did some due diligence ahead of it, and they determined that they didn't want to get into into bed with potentially the same list of crop of head coaches that Texas A&M could potentially be hiring. And is that an overreaction, or do you think I, I have a point? I, I've always felt that teams should understand where they're going to rank in, in the list of jobs. Um, if they come open, uh, and you got a report of UCLA and I know we'll get to that. They got a big win on Saturday, so we'll see if that job comes open, but you've got some jobs that are already going to be ahead of Arkansas. So you're really not getting your pick of the litter. You're getting pick of what's left. And, and look, you, you got a nice win yesterday. Obviously you're, you're playing, you know, Florida international, um, but I, I, I think that that sometimes patience is is to be rewarded. I, I, I don't love the comments um, about like, hey, the kids loved hearing that we were going to keep them, so let's keep them. Like that, that seemed like an odd time to mention like the players like their coach. Like, yeah, they do, obviously. Um, but but look, you're pushing it down the line. We'll see if you can find something, hit lightning in a bottle. But you're probably having this discussion next year, right? Like the schedule is only getting tougher, um, so maybe maybe you're just keeping with Pittman as you try and feel out the landscape of the new SEC and, and kind of get some ground and and footing. But uh, it was an odd decision. It seemed like an obvious uh, time for a coaching change. Um, but look, uh, we're all big fans of Sam Pittman here. You know, we hope hope he can turn it around because uh, he's probably only going to be given one more year to do so. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's it's just uh, – for a long time this season, he felt kind of like a dead man walking. Um, yeah. But Sam Pippen's a popular guy over there in in, uh, in Arkansas. So I think people like him. People cheer for him. People want him to win. And the locker room likes him. They haven't lost – he hasn't lost the locker room. I think they support him. I mean – but you also have to, to factor in the reality that they had uh, as much talent as anybody in the country in that backfield between KJ Jefferson and, and rocket Sanders. And it just never took off. And I don't know what the full reason for that was. Uh, I don't know if that was coaching. I don't know if it was just a, I don't know if it was us, the media who just over, were over a bit overzealous with what those players were or, or could be, but Arkansas has consistently been the most disappointing team in the SEC this year, or at least one of the most disappointing teams in the conference. They have woefully underperformed, and I like Sam Pittman. I've been a big fan of his going back to his days at the University of Georgia. Um, he's a fun guy. I really enjoy it's just his his demeanor. I, I've interacted with him at SEC Media Days on numerous occasions, and he's just a great guy, and I root for him. Um, but this decision felt a little strange to me. Um, do you really think it's going to get better next year? I don't know why you think it's going to improve next next year. I think they're why just trying to feel out the new. Yeah, I think they're just trying to feel out how things are going to look uh, with the new entrance into the conference and, and let it settle Maybe. a little bit and then just go. Yeah, but I can't imagine 
he does a good enough job next year to then keep it moving forward. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Um, look, I'm happy for the guy. I'm glad he's sticking around because I enjoy his commentary. Uh, he's a fun guy, just in general. Uh, so I, I hope he sticks around for a little while, and I hope he finds some some more success next year as the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. But, Abe, I do want to move into the, into the ACC quickly. Um, and we have to start with the biggest news that hit college football last week. I mentioned when we started the, the podcast that we really haven't seen a lot of seismic changes in college football this year. Uh, no real big upset losses outside of maybe Clemson losing week one to Duke the way that we saw that happen. Outside of that, we really haven't seen major underdogs win football games. And we saw like, and like, we just saw no seismic shift shifts in that sense. I think we did on Saturday when Jordan Travis went down with just a, a horrifying leg injury. And I, I hate for it. I hate that for him. He's had just such a magnificent season. Uh, the way that he continued to play in the absence of many of his stars, the way that he continued to fight for Florida State. I mean, this is a guy who was being booed a few years ago to now being a potential Heisman hopeful. And, and he led the charge for the resurgence of Florida State football. He's the personification of what a college quarterback can mean to a football program. And my heart just goes out to him and to that Florida State program. But I, I do want to keep it to the football. Like, they were trailing North Alabama by 13 points. They looked like they had fallen asleep at the wheel. They were looking ahead to their matchup with Florida next week. Maybe they just kind of took this game for granted. Uh, but they do score 58 unanswered points in the absence of Jordan Travis. Uh, backup Tate Roadmaker. I mean, he's a Valdosta kid, went to a great high school. This is really the first opportunity that we've seen to – we've seen Roadmaker, and I guess we'll see him again next week against the University of Florida and, and that fun matchup that those two teams have. But, God, it hurts. It just sucks that Jordan Travis is down. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting, um, but there, there's no pity from any of the teams that they would potentially face in Florida or Louisville or potentially in the college football playoffs. I mean, they've got to get Rotomaker up to speed in this offense. This is a guy who's in his, yeah. what, fourth year with the with the Florida State Seminoles, um, has been used very sparingly. Well, I think he threw like two passes one year. I don't know if it counts. You know, might have redshirted officially. Um, but um, – yeah, he, he's got to get up to speed because they've got an offense to run. And yeah. a, a, as much as you like to think that they can out-talent some guys, they've got playmakers you've got to get the ball to and, and not by ha turning turning around and handing it off. I mean, you've got to find a way in big games um, to get the ball to Johnny Wilson and, and Jaheim Bell and Keon Coleman. Uh, Keon Coleman didn't register a catch in this game. Or excuse me, he did. He had uh, a touchdown catch. Um, 53 yards. I, I mean, you, you've got to get your playmakers involved even more. Now it, it becomes more about them than it does about the quarterback. To me, the difference here for Florida state is this is no longer about spreading the ball around and getting everyone involved. And it, this is about letting your best players and, and specifically because of the part of the season you're in and the teams you're about to face. And I know Florida right now is not very good, but they're going to be game uh come saturday and then obviously louisville's top 10 and anyone you would play in the college football playoffs are going to be top 10 you're going to need your playmakers making plays the, the, this is not an offense that can run um spreading it around 
uh, getting everyone involved and 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 that sort of thing. You you've got to get more out of Coleman and Wilson specifically. They're supposed to be uh, along with maybe LSU, like the best and Abuka and eighteen up there at Ohio State. I mean these these guys are in discussion for best wide receiver duo in the country. They need to show that yeah. and be there for Roadmakers so you can make it easy on him uh, in your next couple of games, at least until he gets a little bit more comfortable. And then the other aspect of this is the offensive line. Yeah. You're going to have teams blitzing this guy. There's no doubt about it. Teams are going to look to put pressure on this guy, speed him up uh, before he gets comfortable, both in the game in, in a rhythm, but also just with the offense and, and stuff like that. So it's really about for Florida state understanding what changes are about to happen and how you have to address one, how teams will attack you differently uh, themselves, but also how you need to adjust your own offense to run in terms of Jordan Travis. This was your, in my opinion, prototypical outstanding college quarterback career. This is a guy that probably doesn't have many chances at the next level, but he had a chance to become a legend at Florida state. Uh, and, and not that he's not a legend now, but, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people respect him sticking in the program, helping to turn around the program along with the head coach through some really troubling times to get them to where they are now a, a game or two away from potentially being in the college football playoffs but beyond that, the legacy that he would have had could have been built in those games, could have been built beating Louisville, could have been built in the college football playoffs. And the, the unfortunate aspect of this, and look, his bones will heal, um, but but he'll never yeah. have the opportunity to become the legend that, that was potentially on the table uh, in front of him. And that really hurts to see because he, there's so many guys like him that means so much to their college program that never have a real shot at the next level. And I'm not saying he won't be on a practice squad or bounce around, but this guy was never going to be a starter in the NFL. I think it's it, just being honest, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So um, that, that that's what hurts from that aspect is these, one of these college guys who meant so much to their program and you just don't get to see him play it out when they had all of it in front of them, including an ACC championship, their first in quite a while. And, and potentially the college football playoffs. Yeah, and it just it, my heart goes out to him. Um, yeah, I don't know what Florida State looks like without him. Just in general, I know we. This is a team. Well, it's that's tough to grade against who they played yesterday. It's you're, impossible. You're, you're it's so impossible. much better than man for man. It doesn't even it doesn't even translate. You could roll your practice squad out there, and you should. Yeah, win by multiple multiple double. By the way, we saw Texas A and M did that. They got a fumble. I don't know you. Hey, we love that. That was a really cool moment. Um for Texas A&M on Saturday, but uh, I, I hesitate to, to really prognosticate anything for Florida State at this point now without Jordan Travis on the on the roster, and I just don't know what's going to happen with him. But I do want to continue down because – Let, let me ask you real quick, real quick on Florida State. Sure. Um, we know how the committee likes to weigh things and value things and judge things, whatever. Let's say Florida State does beat Florida and does beat Louisville – with a backup in Rotomaker, are they still locks, in your opinion, if they're an undefeated ACC champion? Are they still a lock in the playoff for you? I don't know. That's that's a tough situation. It's an imp it's impossible to answer that question right now. Um, I think we need to see what they look like. You want to see them against Florida and Louisville? Okay. I want to see them against Florida and Louisville. It's a cop-out um, answer, but it's a good cop-out answer, so is, I'll allow it. It is a cop-out. 
It is a cop out because the but it's a is, good one, so I'll allow it. I don't know if they're going to be stay undefeated. I just don't. I, I for real, I, I I really Jordan Travis was so important to yeah. what Florida State was as a program. He was the lifeblood of that team, and my I don't want to call this a hot take or whatever. They're not undefeated. They're not going to stand defeated. They will lose one of their next two games. If I have to go out and make a pick, I think Florida beats the next week. Yeah. Um, I just – where's the game being played? I haven't looked yet. I'm pretty sure it's in – Yeah, I think it's at Gainesville. But remember, I mean, look, Florida's dealing with the same thing as well with, with Max Brown. Um, yeah, and but Grant Mertz, just Grant Mertz is not what Jordan Travis is. I think they will be – they want to come in and run the ball. I think they're going to give him a hard time. And then it's it's either that game against Florida or, the, or a really competent opponent with Louisville, you know? And yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I just don't know what this team is without their leader, you know? I don't know what this team yeah. is without without the number one dude on their roster, which is and has been all season Jordan Travis. And and my heart breaks for them. And I, I, it's, it's it sucks that this could end up being a season of, of what could have been. Yeah. A season where – you start with just such a, a resonating victory against LSU. You you go on the road and get that that game against Clemson that, that was just the – they had been snake bit in that game for so long. And then when it seemed like everything was working against them, it just seemed like everything changed. And that's sort of where their season flipped. And, and it sucks that it could end this way. Uh, granted, it hasn't ended yet. We, we could see – the backup roadmaker, like he could come in and be yeah. a beast. Like he, we could see a Tom Brady esque type of performance. I don't know. Am I assuming that's going to happen? Of course not. But crazier things have happened. But Abe, I do want to quickly move into Louisville because that is who we're going to be seeing in the ACC title game after they take down Miami. They didn't look really good. It really didn't. But the offense showed up in a big way, despite Jamari Thrash and Jawar Jordan. Uh, with nagging injuries, uh, 14 different players touched the ball on offense as a testament to Jack Plummer and what Jeff Brom has done in his first season at Louisville. But Thrash and Jordan, uh, their health is going to be something to monitor moving forward. Just nine carries for Jawar Jordan. The team still ran for 162 yards and a touch, two touchdowns against a pretty stout Miami defense. Uh, and then Thrash only had the one completion. So I think it's going to be very interesting to watch what this team is next week against a Kentucky squad, which Again, we're moving into rivalry week, and it's hard to predict anything on these games because every all of these matter so much on such a, a major scale, and maybe that that sweeps into somebody's favor. But look, huge, huge first season for Coach Jeff Brom at Louisville. This is their first ever ACC championship berth, and now they're playing a Florida State team that just lost a starting quarterback. So maybe a New Year's Six game is in play for Jeff Brom at Louisville. Yeah, and that's what you've got to be focused on. You can't look ahead to the ACC title game. You can't look ahead. Uh, obviously, I don't think this team has any conference uh, college football playoff uh, prospects, despite some people hoping chaos prevails. I, I don't see that. Um, but New Year's Six, uh, you, you got to win both of these, not just the Florida State game uh, to get there. Uh, and so mm -hmm. it'll be very interesting. Th th this was not... Uh, an overly well-played game, but when they had to have it in the fourth quarter, Plummer was pretty good, and some of the playmakers for Louisville got the job done. Obviously, we saw uh, how things went with a long touchdown pass to the right side. Um, you know, obviously, pure speed gets it done for Louisville. And then also how it uh, ended with Restrepo catching a Hail Mary at the three- or four-yard line and 
no one there to lateral to, and and obviously couldn't fight through about four or five tackles to uh, uh to tie this thing up. So very very fun ending to this game. I think this was an apropos finish. So uh, I I thought Louisville's been the better team this season. Um, the teams did look relatively evenly matched uh, yesterday, but I'm glad this is the way it played out. Louisville's had the type of year that deserved to be representing um, in an ACC championship game with the potential of, of more to come. But, it, it, you know, you do get that game against Kentucky a week from now, you mentioned. I, I think it's a big deal for Louisville that that game is at home. Um, I think that goes yep. a long way to helping decide that one for them. Yeah, and that's and that was something I mentioned on Sports Radio 92.9, the game, uh, college football game time. I mentioned specifically that, look, this Louisville team doesn't tend to play very well away from home. Uh, that kind of served the inverse on Saturday against Miami. Of course, they didn't look like they ever were able to pull away completely like they have whenever they play at home, but they did all that they needed to do. They lock up the, their bid to the ACC title game. Abe, I will quickly want to move on to Clemson and North Carolina. Clemson continues to just turn around their season. I, I think they have found a new gear, especially on offense. The defense was pretty good. They were playing against likely the best offense in the ACC in North Carolina. Omarion Hanson still had a pretty good day. I think he might have a chance to be one of the, the best running backs in the country this year. 178 yards for him, two touchdowns. Drake May was pretty damn good. Still wasn't enough because Clemson – has found an identity on offense. Kate Klubnick, just play conservative, spread the ball around. You had six different players with two or more receptions. Five of them had more than 20 yards receiving. And then you run the ball effectively. Will Shipley had 126 yards and a touchdown. Phil Moffa, 84 yards and a touchdown. You have an identity. That's all I've been asking for from Clemson. Play good defense, run the ball effectively. Kate Klubnick, don't make the debilitating mistake. And don't turn the ball over. That's a recipe for a win for Clemson. Yeah, speaking of debilitating mistakes, uh, look, Omion Hampton had a good game. He also had a bad game. Uh, two very costly fumbles, one at the start of the game, and another one, uh, we got caught by the touchback rule. As he was going into the end zone, it would have given North Carolina a 14-0 lead. It would have been a totally yeah. different game. He fumbles as you're reaching for the pylon. Uh, ball goes out of the back of the end zone. Um, and it's Clemson ball. And it was all Clemson from there on out. And, I, you know, it was just, you know, I had picked this as my upset special. I thought I was headed to glory uh, as Marion Hampton raced down the sideline. Um, and if he scores there, I think we were talking about a totally different result if it's 14 nothing North Carolina. But uh, that wasn't to be. And like you said, Cade Klubnick played a smart game from there on out, uh, kept it in the hands of his best players. Uh, Will Shipley finally showed back up again. Obviously, he's feeling a little bit healthier, and um, uh, he went for uh, you know a buck twenty six and a touchdown. Maffa had a touchdown. He added another 84, 85 yards. Uh, Shipley had it, uh, you know fifty uh, through the air as well. So th- this is a team that's getting back to doing what we thought they would do: is lean heavily on the run game, lean heavily on Will Shipley, and find some playmakers when you have an opportunity. Uh, but the defense has stepped back up as well. Um, but Marion Hampton, if he doesn't fumble twice in the in the first half of this game, I think we're talking about a vastly different result. But he did, uh, and you have to give the Clemson uh, some credit on that one. Uh, and they get a chance next next week to keep South Carolina from becoming bowl eligible. So as frustrating as it's been for Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, they, they can really finish this thing out the right way 
uh, and try and carry some of that momentum into uh, bowl season, into bowl practices, and then eventually into 2024. Dave, I want to finish up in the ACC here. Speaking of bowl season. Oh, baby. This is a battle between two five and five teams, the winner of which was going to go bowling. Syracuse was looking to become uh, a bowl eligible for the second season in a row for the first time in almost a decade. Meanwhile, Georgia Tech hadn't been bowling since 2018. It was the longest active streak in the ACC. The Yellow Jackets, they did all they needed to do. They looked like they were pulling away, and then Syracuse just turned it on in the second half, the third quarter, and into the fourth quarter. They looked like they were going to get it. They cut the lead. Uh, that was at one point 24 to 10, I, I believe. And look, they cut it all the way down to a 24 to 22 deficit. And they tried to go for two. And really, when Georgia Tech made the play, uh, Clayton Powell Lee, the safety for Georgia Tech, the honorable mention All-American last year, freshman All-American. That was the moment that it's like, okay, I think Georgia Tech just woke up a little bit because they come out onto the field. There's about seven minutes and change left in the game. And they run the ball and then they run the ball again and then they run the ball again and 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 they score a touchdown it was a about a five and a half minute drive they run the ball nine consecutive plays they go the length of the field and they punch it in and that felt like sort of a a cathartic moment for georgia tech this season a very a very difficult year for the yellow jackets and and you could see the emotion that poured out onto the field. If you saw my my, my Twitter at GChapATL, the the exuberance and the joy from those student athletes was just a, a spectacle. It was a sight to see because that bowl game has meant so much to them, and it means so much to that program. Brinky talked about it after the game. I've said it on this podcast many times. The additional bowl practices are so important to building a program. It is critical to building a program and and look they're going to get those bull practices they're going to go to a bull game for the first time since 2018 credit to georgia tech great season for the yellow jackets after just some debilitating losses down bowling green down to boston college uh they looked bad at times they got blown out last week against clemson now they're going bowling after a big win against syracuse well look you're talking about football in the city of atlanta we're used to a roller coaster obviously referring to our quarterback here uh, but that's what this Georgia Tech season has been. It, it really has been. Now, you, you maybe didn't know it uh, exactly what Louisville was going to be when you you lost to them to start the season. You felt that was a winnable game. Um, but but the you know you, you, you're riding high. The loss to Bowling Green. You followed up with it with a big win over Miami. You, you drop back down to Boston College. You follow that up with a big win to North Carolina. You're feeling a little bit good heading into Clemson. Um, and, and Haynes King plays probably his worst game. Uh, of the year and now you follow that up with a had to get it game against Syracuse a a win to send yourself to bowl eligibility this is a game you were up 24-3 in uh they were comfortable they were dominating and then all of a sudden it got real scary as you mentioned they needed to stop the two-point conversion that you referenced to prevent the tie uh five minutes and 19 seconds later nine plays 75 yards it's a touchdown run for Haynes King and he's kind of found uh, a little bit of that sweet spot, too, between wanting to show off the big arm, but also needing to get it done on the ground. He's a very good runner. He's very good at the run-pass option. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what they've leaned on. Uh, it's what they leaned on yesterday um, to, to build up the 24-3 to lead that they had. It's what they leaned on to close out the game. So 
Look, it just—it's an up and down season. There's some good, there's some bad. But if you take a step back and look at the overall picture, you're talking about a team that is bowl eligible in Brett Key's first season. Uh, all the lows, all the highs. This is a overall positive movement for the Georgia Tech program. Uh, a movement that the players and head coach Brett Key uh, should be very proud of. Yeah. And I'm excited because I get to go to a bowl game. <laughs> so I get to go to my first bowl game uh, on the road. So I'm really I just hope for you it's one. not one of the ones in Orlando. I don't care. Honestly, at this okay. point, I, I'll, I'll get a free trip. To, I'll get a trip to Epcot here or something like that. I know. Or maybe, you know, maybe, free, maybe it'll be the Bahamas Bowl. Remember, they're moving that to uh, Charlotte. Ooh. They're moving Charlotte. it to Charlotte, though. Yeah, sorry. The Bahamas Bowl in Charlotte. Uh, that'll be killer. Sorry. Uh, there, I've seen some. I've seen some projections for for the Yellow Jackets, which some have included Jacksonville, some have been Boston, Fenway. Um, I think there are a lot of fantastic options on the table for the Yellow Jackets. I don't care. I get to go to a bowl game uh, as long as it's not too far away or someplace that it's like I really just am unable to get there. Um, hopefully, that's not the case. But I'm really excited. I'm pumped to uh, be covering the Yellow Jackets in their first bowl game since 2018. But, Abe, I want to move into the Pac-12 because we have a potentially chaotic finish uh, if one thing happens. And I'll, and I'll talk about that here when we get into this. Uh, but first, I want to talk about UCLA and USC quickly. I, I just want to say another sloppy, 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 sloppy USC football game. Uh, makes me think that the wrong, US, the wrong coach in California is on the hot seat. Of course, the news came out. That Chip Kelly uh, was fired. He was done. He was going to be allowed to coach out the season. Uh, Athletic Director Martin Jarman, he denied those rumors after the game that he's on the outs. Uh, But I I think the win helped solidify his case. Lane Kiffin now is 19 and – or excuse me, not Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin was 19 and 7. But Lincoln Riley is now 5 and 7 in his last 12 games. Uh, but Lincoln, what I was saying with Lane Kiffin is he was 19 and seven while also dealing with the, the NCAA sanctions. I don't think that Lincoln Riley has had much more success than what Lane Kiffin did. And all I'm saying is Riley should avoid as many LAX tarmacs as possible. Well, it, it, look, if from the UCLA perspective, if you're going to fire the coach, fire the coach. Don't play this game of, well, but now he's won a couple in a row and maybe we need to rethink our our consideration if you're going to get rid of you pull the trigger if you're not then you're not but they, you know so now you're dealing with that aspect and and, and you throw your hands up in the air with, with the question of now what is the future for chip kelly in terms of usc uh this one's frustrating because caleb williams played outstanding and you just couldn't score you couldn't run the ball at all your team had a, a net of three rushing yards and i know obviously you're taking into account caleb williams negative yardage on sacks stuff like that um, but, but, but you got to do better. Marshawn Lloyd's got to be better. He's a better back than that. And so, um, you, you got to figure that out. I know you want to play to your strengths and let Caleb Williams do his thing. He had 384 yards in a touchdown, but you couldn't score. Um, no matter what the offensive numbers said about Caleb Williams's day, you couldn't get in the end zone. He did once, but that was just once, um, for Williams. And even that was on a play that was kind of a deep ball where the the defensive back kind of he was maybe he was beat maybe he tripped kind of tough to tell uh, he definitely tried to take out the receiver though which is kind of funny uh, a- anyways yeah uh, look there's no doubt about it Lincoln Riley has not done uh, got this team to where they need to 
And it just the question is just still the defense. Like you got it, you're not gonna win games without better defenses. Um, you, know, you fired your coordinator uh and you gave up 38 points to a UCLA offense that has been relatively quiet most of the season. So uh you gotta you gotta get your defense settled uh if you're Lincoln Riley before um before you expect to have any big successes. Yeah, and uh Caleb Williams might be the last time we ever see him throws for 384 yards like you mentioned he was upstaged a bit by Ethan Garvers who just came back from injury he threw mm-hmm. for three three touchdowns USC has allowed 34 plus points in eight straight games they have a big offseason ahead of them they have to figure out some things uh, but somebody who's had a complete inverse of a season is the just Arizona in general uh, they've just been marvelous marvelous they've won their eighth straight game uh, no Fafita continues to roll 253 yards and three touchdowns in this game and injuries, I feel like, have finally caught up with Utah. I think that they, their whole team is just debilitated with injuries. They, they've been beat to hell. Um, but a win next week for against Arizona State would mark the first nine-win season for Arizona since 1998. Uh, it also could potentially keep their bid for a Pac-12 title game alive, and I'm going to get into that here in just a second. But hey, the Wildcats, just an incredible game here. Yeah, oh, look, Arizona, since making the quarterback change, has just turned uh, into a nightmare for their opponents uh, on both sides of the ball for whatever reason. Um, but, yeah, obviously Fafita has played well, and and the defense has shown up as well, and Jed Fish continues to do a great job. And, uh, look, I, I still want to see Washington, Oregon, um, but based on how things went, if it does play itself into a a situation where Arizona reaches the, the Pac-12 title game, uh, I don't think they would show up and be miraculously outmatched either. I mean, that's a really good football team. And, and again, you, you talk about your identity and figuring stuff out through the course of the season, and they had to with their quarterbacks, um, and they did. And, and on the flip side for Utah, obviously things never got rolling the way you wanted to um, with, with the Cam Rising news and, and not having him available at any part of this season. But – you seem to have some lightning in a bottle um, with Sion Vaki at running back and you just stopped using him and, and it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was completely because he became ineffective guys got healthier and you stopped using him. Uh, he had four carries for 10 yards. I mean, you go back to a two or three week stretch. He was 120, 210, 108, whatever the numbers were. He was tearing it up, and so I'm a little confused about what the game plan was there for Utah. Uh, obviously, some of that became because you stuck with Bryson Barnes at quarterback, and maybe you wanted to throw the ball a little bit more. But, um, yeah, it's been a disappointing end uh, second half to the season for Whittingham, as disappointing as it has been promising for Arizona's Jet Fish. Yeah. Just a, just an interesting game there in general as the uh, the Big Twelve or Pac Twelve continues to. It was twenty eight nothing, man. It was twenty eight yeah, nothing. Was, I was like, I could not believe it. Wow, uh, two very well coached teams, and, and I think we saw that specifically. Um, I'm not going to get too. I'm not going to get into what Oregon did. They, I mean, Bo Nix just was an incredible performer in that game, but it is now after the Oregon State finish, which we're going to discuss here in just a second. It is now down to Oregon and Arizona. For the final spot, since there is no head-to-head tiebreaker between the two, all that needs to happen is Oregon needs to win next week against Oregon State, and they are in. If Arizona wins uh, next week against Arizona State and 
Oregon's or and Oregon loses next week. Or so Oregon loses next week and Arizona State win. Arizona wins against Arizona State. That would trigger a third tiebreaker, which is then winning percentage versus common opponents based on the order of finish into play. Arizona with a win against Oregon State and a loss to USC would need the Beavers to finish ahead of the Trojans in the final conference standings. That is going to be your determining factor. It gets into very complicated stuff, and maybe that just shouldn't happen. Oregon should just take care of business against Oregon State and just finish it out the way that we want to see it, and that is with this team playing against Oregon in a rematch of what we saw. Washington, big winners, 22-20. They did it with defense. It was just a a night of terror uh, in terms of weather. Michael Penix didn't play super well, but he braved the elements. And look, at the end of the day, he completes 13 passes. Seven of those are Roma Dunze. 100 yards, two touch, uh, two touchdowns for the wide receiver. He's clutch, man. He had two critical runs that, that helped keep drives alive, including one of those that went for a touchdown. They've won their last six games by 10 points or fewer, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They keep winning, and as long as they are winning football games, I know I picked Oregon State to win this game, largely in part due to the elements. I thought they were going to be able to run the ball a little bit better. Uh, But the Washington defense stood tall. Yeah, and this is a situation where Washington, and maybe this is just my opinion, maybe there's some confirmation bias going on here. I thought Washington struggled with the weather a lot more than Oregon State did. I think this actually would have been a much different game in a dry situation because Washington had guys open Penix hit them and they just weren't bringing it in, especially in the first half. The second half, it got a little wonky for, for Washington. They couldn't do anything on, on offense. Uh, I mean, their, their drives in, in the second half were uh missed field goal punt punt. And then the end of the game, they, they obviously didn't have the ball a ton of time there in the second half, but they didn't get anything going. I mean, they went into halftime with 22 points. They finished the game with 22 points. That's a little concerning, a little bit troubling, um, heading into obviously the apple cup, but also potentially a a rematch against Oregon, but they did what they had to do. And at the end of the day, it has not been pretty for this Washington team since that Oregon win. Um, I have not been impressed really on any single week. That being said, they have found ways, different ways every week, it seems, to get the job done. And you cannot deny that they just went on the road and beat a really good Oregon State team. So it is another feather in the cap uh, of what has been and for Washington fans hopefully continues to be uh, an undefeated season, potentially a Pac-12 championship season. And who knows what happens if you can get into the college football playoffs. But um, they, they're just not peaking the way you would like to see teams peak at this part of the season heading into um, what is about to be their biggest games of the year. Uh, for Oregon State, on the flip side, you got to find a way to rebound because Oregon is ready for you. They know what they have in front yeah. of them. You laid out the scenarios. They need to win this game. They obviously uh, want a rematch with Washington. They've got a Heisman candidate who is playing as well as anyone in the country. Uh, their defense is playing as well as anyone in the country. And um, they are looking to find their path back to the college football playoffs as well. So um, they, they, there's no no time to cry over the spilled milk on this one because Oregon State's got a battle against the Ducks uh, uh, this coming week. 
Yeah, and if, if the Pac-12 wants to reach the college football playoff for the first time since I think 2017, uh, Washington was the last team to do it, I believe, uh, way back in the day. I mean, it just feels like it's been forever since we've seen a team from out west represent the conference. But um, I think everybody wants to see Washington and Oregon. I, I, we're going to get into both of those breakdowns next week. But Washington has continued to play with fire. And I think, I mean, they've done well to not get burned, but how long can they keep that going? I think that's going to be a very interesting topic of conversation here as we finish up the season. So far, so good for the Huskies. Uh, They're undefeated. They are a top five team right now. We'll see if they get pushed up into that top four. We're going to discuss our college football playoff rankings and where those stand for us here in just a little bit. But I do want to talk a little bit about the Big Ten. We are going to go a little bit in depth, but we're going a little over. So I just want to, I want to go talk. We just have so many things that we want to talk about, but I, I need to update everybody on what's going on in the Big Ten. The Iowa Hawkeyes, they get the win 15 to 13 over Illinois. They lock down the Big Ten West title with the win. Their fifth win this season, in which they've scored 20 points or less. No other Power Five team has more than two of such wins. Are you giving them quickly? Are you giving them any shot against Michigan or Ohio State? A yes, a shot against Michigan, no shot against Ohio State. Interesting. Um, I think that we're, we're going to get into all of those discussions here uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. I disagree. I think they've got a good shot against both of them. If they can muck it up enough, I don't think that offense is going to be able to cook against either one of those off, those defenses for Michigan or for Ohio State. I think both of those guys are going to be able to shine. But if they can keep it in the 20s, crazier things have happened. Michigan also goes – and gets a win against Maryland, 31-24. to 24. That's their thousandth win in Wolverine history. Bit more drama off the field. Bit of drama on the field. They sweated it out a lot closer than a lot of people thought. The Terps came back from a big deficit. Uh, they, they, they gave up a blocked punt for a touchdown. They had a, a, a turnover that went for six. Um, or no, the blocked punt, though, they actually, the punter kicked the ball out of the back of the end zone for a safety. But then they had another safety in the fourth quarter. And that was really the difference in this game. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the Michigan offense didn't look very good. It looked like they were looking ahead to next week a little bit, 291 yards of offense. Second week in a row that J.J. McCarthy really has not looked very comfortable. Um, I don't really have many thoughts about this game just in general. Michigan is by far the better football team. Maryland gave them a game. I don't know who Michigan is still. I have no idea. They haven't played anybody of worth. Uh, Their best win of the season is Penn State, a team that also cannot really play offense. Um, Abe, do you have any quick thoughts on this one? Well, just look, this game was 23-3, to and then Maryland scored before the half and scored right after the half, and all of a sudden you're in a battle, and they had the ball. Uh, Maryland did down a a possession uh, with a chance to take the lead, Um, and then Michigan's defense stepped up. I agree with you, though. The the lack of offense from Michigan is concerning. Um, Now it feels like if you could slow down Blake Corum and and the Michigan Edwards and the Michigan run game, um, I don't trust McCarthy or those receivers or tight ends to go out and win you a game. Um, and that's concerning because I think you're going to have to score uh, against Ohio State. And if you face Iowa, um, uh, I think they do a pretty good job of stopping that run. So it, it, Michigan has not shown me what they needed to uh, to impress. Well, that win for Michigan sets up a winner-take-all situation for the game against Ohio State. Ohio State, of course, gets the win. 37 to 3 against PJ Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, no real contest in that game. Minnesota just isn't a lot of anything right now. 
Um, I know PJ Fleck earlier in the season said that Michigan's the best team he's ever coached against. Well, another good team beat him pretty handedly. Uh, but it does set up a winner-take-all next week in a game that we are absolutely going to be discussing uh, here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. And Abe, I do want to move into the Big 12 quickly here um, because Oklahoma gets the win against BYU. They don't look comfortable in the process, uh, but they are 31-24 winners over Brigham Young. Any comments on that one real quick? No, it was a fun game to watch at noon. Uh, very surprising. I know Dylan Gabriel got benched at one point. I don't know what's going on with the Sooners, um, but they are far, far removed from the team that beat uh, Texas. Yeah, uh, pretty much. And then Kansas State, of course, they are they are winners against Kansas for the seventh year in a row. Uh, Will Howard had three touchdowns in that game. Kansas's Devin Neal had three rushing touchdowns. But this loss likely ends the Jayhawks' hopes of finishing the season ranked in the top 25 for the first time since 2007. It also keeps alive Kansas State's hope for a potential Big 12 title berth, as did Oklahoma's win. It sets up a very interesting tiebreaker that I want to get into here in just a second. Abe, do you have any thoughts on this one? Look, Kansas was down to their third-string quarterback. They still fought and played pretty well. Uh, This was a very close game against Kansas State. I like Kansas State uh, quite a bit coming into this game, but with a third-string quarterback, Kansas did well, uh, even in a loss. And I was very impressed with what Texas did as well. 26 to 16 winners against Iowa State. I picked Iowa State as an upset special on our, on our show, College Football Game Time. that airs every single Saturday from 8 until noon on Sports Radio 92.9. The game, find it wherever you find your podcasts on the or on the Odyssey app live. Uh, but Iowa State gave them all they could handle. Uh, they, Texas only led 6 to 3 at halftime, but Texas was able to pull away and get its first 10 win regular season since 2009. A win next week assures them of their first Big 12 title berth since 2009. Um, Just a great game from Texas in general. Quinn Ewers played really, really well. 281 yards, two touchdowns for the quarterback. C.J. Baxter, I do want to give him his flowers really quickly. 117 rushing yards. Huge performance in the absence of Jonathan Brooks, who tore his ACL last week. Rocco Beck threw for 323 yards for Iowa State and two touchdowns. I think that's a glaring Texas weakness, Abe. This is a secondary that cannot stop the pass. And if you want to be playing in the college football playoff and you want to find success in the college football playoff, you need to be able to stop the pass. Uh, they, they won the turnover battle. They did all they needed to do. Uh, the rushing attack, or rushing defense rather, stuffed the Iowa State rushing attack. Held with only nine rushing yards, an average of less than 0.5 yards per carry. Overall, just a big win for Texas. Yeah, I, look, the big question was who's going to step up in place of Jonathan Brooks, and C.J. Baxter was the obvious name, and uh, Baxter showed up. Uh, 20 carries, 117 yards, he gets the job done. Look, Texas held uh, Iowa State to only nine rushing yards when you factor in a couple sacks there, Rocco Beck, but you nailed it. Uh, you got to do better against the pass. Too many teams are going to be coming in being able to throw the ball. Uh, again, if you matched up Alabama now, with Texas, I would not like their chances. I know they won week two, but these are two different teams. Texas uh, does get Quinn Ewers back for their second game, but uh, they they still continue to just kind of kind of like Washington a little bit. They're just kind of getting by. They're not overly impressive, um, but but as of now, they get one more win next week. They'll be in the Big Twelve title game. And as for who they will be playing in that game. Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State are in a three-way tie for second place. Iowa State has been eliminated from the Big 12 title berth, uh, a, big, a potential Big 12 title berth mm-hmm. with that loss, albeit it was 
it was a long shot as uh, just in general for them to make a berth, uh, just based off of the season that they've had this year and the losses that they had to whom they had them to. Uh, but it sets up like this. Texas, if they went out, they're in. Oklahoma State, if they went out, they're in due to their wins against Oklahoma and Kansas State. Oklahoma needs to win out, plus it needs Kansas State and Oklahoma State to lose once. Uh, Kansas State needs to win out, and it needs Oklahoma State and Oklahoma to both lose once. They play Iowa State next weekend. Oklahoma plays TCU. Uh, and, and look, at the end of the day, Oklahoma State should have uh, the, the, the lead in this game. They, they are. They have the biggest wins. They need a little bit, of, and but, my, but these other guys need a little bit of help. Texas, I don't think, cares too much about who they play. Uh, maybe they want to play Oklahoma. I think all three of these teams are, are kind of ranked. I don't think the ranking of either of those three teams is really going to help Texas's resume all that much. But, of course, we did see Oklahoma beat Texas earlier in the season, and a win there would help their resume just a little bit because they get some revenge for a, a loss that they sustained earlier in the season. Uh, so I guess they want to see Oklahoma just for that reason. But at the end of the day, if they end up seeing Oklahoma State and they, and they shut them down a win, they should be in the college football playoff. Uh, well, I don't know about that, but I, I wouldn't go that far. But um, should I, I would think Oklahoma, a few different things. Yeah, I, I think Oklahoma State's probably the matchup they'd want just in terms of on field. You know, they have a pretty good run defense. You stop Ollie Gordon, you beat Oklahoma State. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I don't, uh, to your point, I don't think any of those three teams that you mentioned really give me too much fear, probably Kansas state more really. than Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, but they seem to be the biggest long shot. Yeah, that's what it seems like. But hey, quickly, I want to move into our college football playoff rankings where we finish up here on the college football overtime podcast implications of the Jordan Travis injury. I don't know if they're going to be felt this week. They might be felt next week or the week after, uh, but real quick, I just want to roll through this. I think we're going to agree on number one. I'm just going to start there. University of Georgia is your number one team. Period. Sorry. Yep. That's just where I stand. My number two is Ohio State. Do you disagree? Yep. No, that's what I got. Three. Three is Michigan. Yep. Four is Washington. Yeah, and, and let me just say this in regards to the Jordan. I don't think Florida State's getting downgraded because of the Jordan Travis injury. I, I think Washington's getting upgraded because they went on the road to a top 15 team and won. Uh, they've got a number of ranked wins the past couple of weeks. So I, I just – I want to clear up, but I'm not dropping Florida State. I'm, I'm rising Washington. I don't know if you feel the same, but I, I just – I felt not that needed to be made clear. It's not penalizing Florida State for being without Jordan Travis. Washington has a resume now that is better than FSU's. I could not possibly agree more. Both are undefeated. Um, that's just the nature of having five undefeated teams. It's just where we are. Uh, one team is going to get left out of the top four, just where we stand right now. Of course, we have the matchup next week between Ohio state and Michigan. That's going to make this a lot more simple uh, as the season goes on. Uh, but this is just where we stand right now. Abe, I completely agree. I think it's the win against Oregon state that really puts them over the top. They proved something again to me. I, I got to get it through my head at some point, <laughs> but they just continue to, to get it done on the football field. Number six for me is Oregon. Sure. Texas is number seven for me, just based off of that win that they had earlier this season over Alabama. For now, sure. I, I mean, I, I look. Now. If you're asking me who, if, if they played a game, who's winning? It's Alabama, but I can give ranking. Texas the ranking right now. Sure. Like I just want to make this clear to everybody: this is not a power ranking. This is a resume ranking, and this yeah. is how we think that the committee is going to rank it, just based off of everything 
I think if I agree with you, if they played again, I, I think that Alabama would absolutely win this football game. They have been a much, much improved team over the second half of the season. The SEC West really had a golden opportunity to beat them. Uh, and they just whiffed time and again. Yeah. Uh, number eight is Alabama. Number nine is Louisville for me. Uh, so I think we pretty much agree. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, the committee had Missouri at nine. If they want to jump Louisville, that's fine. If they want to keep Missouri there, I doesn't th- doesn't change anything to me. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty in line with that. At that point, yeah. I don't think either one of those teams is really going to be pushing up. Uh, no. We've never seen a team jump that far in no. the history of the college football playoff. The only one that I can see potentially jumping that far is Alabama because they would have a win over the University right. of Georgia in the SEC title game. They would, of course, have to win next week. But Abe Gordon, that's it for us here on the College Football Overtime Podcast huge week that we just reacted to. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've got my timestamps below, so make sure that you're you're jumping to wherever you want to talk. Uh, listen in. Uh, we do that every single week, every Monday and every Thursday. Make sure you are listening in. Set that notification. Make sure you hit that subscribe button below because we're giving you all the college football action and reactions that you need uh, and love. Uh, coming up next week, we have Rivalry Week. It is the best week of the college football season. It is my absolute favorite. We have the game. We have the Iron Bowl. We have clean, old-fashioned heat. We have everything that you could possibly want. The Apple Cup, uh, the Governor's Cup, every single thing that you could talk about because this is a tremendously important week of college football, not just for two teams who are playing each other, two teams that don't like each other across the country, but national ramifications for who's going to be playing in conference title games and eventually in the college football playoff final four in the final edition of the 14 playoff. It sets up for a wild finish. We have five undefeated teams. We're not going to have five undefeated teams next week. And this is really the first time that we've pretty much been able to say that all season long. And I am yeah. very excited to get into it with Abe Gordon right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. But like I said, that's it for us. Make sure you're tuning in on Thursday because we are going to be breaking all of those games down. But for now, my name is Garrett Chapman. His name is Abe Gordon. Thanks so much for listening. We are College Football Overtime.